0: listening to the transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a podcast consultant here in Fukushima Prefecture, Japan. How are you doing today? If you are listening to this and the podcast has just come out, we are in the middle of June, which means that it is probably most definitely rainy season here in Japan, which means everything is very green and very moldy potentially. <laughs> we are starting to have to battle with is my how is my washing going? Is it smelling? Uh, I have not been able to dry washing for days all these kinds of things. Not one of my favorite seasons of the year in Japan. I hope the rainy season is going to be kind to us this year, but it's come so, so early. So it could be a long one. Who knows? This this year yeah, is not being normal. That is for sure. So today on the the show, I have Joy Jarman Walsh, or JJ Walsh, as she's also known. She is the host of the Seeking Sustainability Live show, which is on, it's a daily show. And I run a podcast, have been running a podcast weekly, and that is a lot of work, but a daily show, that is a lot of work. So she goes live daily with people from all walks of life, all kinds of industries and discussing sustainability from that viewpoint. So I have seen some really great topics that she's had. And she mentions one in the episode about a couple who renovate vans and turn them into kind of uh, camper vans for people to use here in Japan, which is such a great idea. Another one I saw recently was a family who moved from Tottori, uh, sorry, from Tokyo to Tottori, which I was like, oh, Tottori, that's, I have to watch that one. And so I did watch that one live because of my my husband's connection to Tottori. And I often spend time there at least a couple of weeks every year. And so, yeah, she has a a wide variety of guests on her show. So she also has a huge knowledge about sustainability in all kinds of industries. So I hope you will go and check out her show. But today we talked a little bit about sustainability in tourism and especially how we can really enjoy Japan this summer, given that we can't go home. I know if you are living in Japan, normally in summer... You know, we would be packing our suitcases and and heading off home wherever that may be for a few weeks to escape the heat or to get your kids a chance to have some English immersion time. I know that's definitely why I was doing it, taking my kids back to New Zealand every summer for at least a month. And having that time spent in English, uh, all English environment was a huge help for their English, given that they just go to regular Japanese school or in, in a Japanese environment every day. So this year, we will not be doing that. Unfortunately, my family's summer vacation is looking pretty average this year so far. We have zero plans and I'm hoping that my kids can perhaps Visit their grandparents down at Totori if people are vaccinated and, and, and things are going well, but that's another month or so away. So we're not really sure. So, yeah, how can we enjoy the summer this year in a sustainable way? And, yeah, also in a corona friendly way if we still need to worry about that, which I'm sure we probably will for a while yet. Also, and I hope you'll listen towards the end. I, I'm, I did ask permission. From Joy to to coach her a little bit, or to just to challenge her a little bit, because when we were speaking and we were talking about what's happening next, I could hear that maybe there is something more that she wasn't quite saying, and that if she said it, then that will help her to create uh, for it to become more real and and perhaps move towards it more. So yeah, listen for that at the end. That really gave me goosebumps listening to her speaking about her ideas for the future and that. So I hope you enjoy the show. Here we have uh, Joy Jarman Walsh. Hi, Joy. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today.
1: Hi, Jane. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah. So for those listeners who don't know who you are, could you give us your jiko shokai, a little self-introduction?
1: Of course. Uh, My name's Joy Jarman Walsh. i Grew up in Hawaii, went to university in California, came to Japan just after university. I was in Kyushu for three years, traveled around Asia for another two years, came back to Hiroshima, Japan in 96. I uh, decided to start a regional website with my husband, got teaching at university, had two kids, never left. Now I'm a talk show host. Yes, lots of transformation to talk about.
0: <laughs> Tell us the name of your talk show, because this is a daily thing that right that's happening. Yeah, it's a daily yeah. Daily show. That is so much work. Tell us about that. It's
1: crazy. I never expected it to be a daily show and last for over a year, but there you go. It's really been a blessing. It's called Seeking Sustainability Live. And the idea was I'm focused on sustainability in my business consulting, my travel consulting, in my workshops, I always bring a bit of sustainability in. I got my master's degree in sustainability and tourism. So I'm really passionate about finding ways, especially for travel and tourism to have a balance between the host community, the pe- local people, and the visitor. But whenever I speak about sustainability, it's, it's such a big topic and it's very daunting. So it's wonderful uh, to have something like Seeking Sustainability as the, the premise, to talk to different people around Japan or related to Japan from other countries, who are doing interesting things from a variety of platforms, but in some way it's connected to how we think about balancing the needs of people with the planet with getting a profit. So that's that's the idea behind the title, Seeking Sustainability Live, to kind of inspire people but also to introduce to a much wider audience that sustainability is certainly something great to think about and it's possible and it's not too hard and it's often really fun and can improve your life or business.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I, I yeah, I know what you mean about that. It's a huge thing, right? It can seem like such a big topic and unachievable almost because it's so, can be so huge, but you can choose one area to start with and work from there, can't you? And then- Definitely. Yeah.
1: Uh, When I, I started reaching out to people that I thought would be interesting to talk to for the live stream, people started saying yes. And then once we started discussing things, various topics from like remodeling your home, to uh, history and heritage of Japanese culture, to Japanese folktales and writers who are writing about a a bunch of different topics. You know, some people are very confused. Like, how can that be connected to sustainability? Mm. You know, but I basically can connect sustainability to anything because it is really connected to life, and business in so many ways. It's not just about environmentalism. It's about how do we have uh, more productive communities? How do we have better quality of life? And how do we get a profit without sacrificing the other two pillars of sustainability, right?
0: So what was it that that made you decide to actually start the show in the first place? What, how did you go from being a, a non, you know, live show host to being a live show host? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, When I started my own business after teaching at university for over 21 years, teaching business and travel topics to uh, Japanese female students, and I was also doing gender studies there. And then when I decided to leave the university and launch my own business in 2019, one of the things I tried to do was a monthly event where I would invite speakers to come talk for 10, 15 minutes, have a discussion, have networking, have free exchange of items that were still good, like a free flea market, have a guy come and do a zero waste shop where people could refill their own containers. Uh, We had vegan food on reusable plates and cups we were trying so many things we had a DIY workshop where you could make your own toothpaste or soap things that are normally you know package heavy So I was doing this monthly event and it was growing in popularity and interest. And I noticed it was really inspiring people to try new things and to not give up on the idea of being more sustainable. And, you know, it was a great way to connect with other people who were also trying new things and support each other. And it was really fun. And then coronavirus happened and I thought, well, how can I continue a similar model without getting together, which is not safe right now for events, and so that's kind of how the online live stream platform idea started.
0: So this was just a new-ish thing for you then, and like coronavirus came along and you went online.
1: Yeah, I was in inspired by. Do you have you heard of Gary V? No. Gary V is kind of an online speaker and uh, social media marketing expert. And he he's very active online. And I was listening to some of his live streams and he was talking about the benefits of doing it live is you're accountable. So people can ask you questions and make comments. And if you engage with them, you're showing them that what you're doing is is accountable to them. You're being transparent, which of course is so important to sustainability. So that's why doing it live came up. Mm -hmm. And then he was also saying during coronavirus, like don't get so depressed about what you can't do. Think about what you can do and try to develop content that's useful for other people. And so I thought, wow, reaching out to people who know different topics of things in Japan, which I think are really interesting. And which which I think are really inspiring, maybe other people would be inspired too, you know? Like, so that developed into reaching out to people and talking about photography, talking about remodeling an old house, you know, a variety of of topics. And then uh, those people would introduce me to other people and then people would contact me directly or some of the listeners would suggest topics that they wanted to hear. So it's just kind of organically been growing and developing into this wonderful network of people doing really interesting things.
0: Yeah, the network behind the show is the powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you are a lady with a microphone sitting in your house, <laughs> but the the network that you're creating with the show is where yeah. is where amazing things are happening, and I see that too with my own uh, with my own show, which you're on here today. But yeah, just this amazing network of people who yeah want to hear more from you and who are inspired to to do more or to try something and to support each other. Yeah. As, you know, friends of the show, it is really amazing. What are some of the cool things that have happened uh, with your community since you've started going doing these live shows?
1: Well, something that I just passed the year mark and uh, yesterday... I finished the 246 interview. Wow! <laughs> um, in the series, in a in a year, and uh, now I from this month I've started to be contacted by people who have questions about how to contact someone in a specific field, and and sometimes it's connected to sustainability in some way. Sometimes it's not, but people are realizing my network. Mm. It's pretty big now. Yeah. You know, like each interview that I do is an hour. So it's quite a commitment to listen or to watch. They all go into podcast form after as well. But, you know, people have to be quite interested in the topic to commit to watching or listening for that amount of time. So usually I I have a lot of people contacting me who know that I have covered a variety of topics and they haven't even gone through the whole playlist to search for it. So they're just cutting to the shortcut and asking me for advice about who they can contact for this topic or who they can contact to be a speaker for their event coming up on this topic. So that might actually become something I could use as a way to support my income because at the moment I'm really thinking about how can I support myself? This is all self-funded at the moment and uh, it's not paying the bills, you know? It's helping all the, you know, micro donations and stuff is great. People sharing the content is great. People liking and commenting is wonderful. I love it. But if I wanna make this into my job, which I would love to do. That'd be a dream. Then I kind of need more sponsorship from companies or advertising, but that's tricky too. It has to be some company that I really am passionate about that I really believe in what they're doing. So it can't be any old company. Yeah. So it's, it's complicated. I want to help people, but now I have this huge, vast network and I have a vast knowledge from all these talks, which I know in depth, right? So that that's something I've developed over the year of all this research for every talk, all this information as I digest it and break it down and put it into podcast form and everything. So I I once talked to Robert Yellen. Robert Yellen is an amazing pottery and ceramic curator. He has a wonderful gallery in Kyoto. And one of his stories really struck me. He was talking to a pottery expert, artisan, who had been perfecting his craft over 80 years. And uh, so one of his customers commented about, Why his sake cup was so expensive. You know, a little sake cup. It only took you five minutes to make that. (laughs) And, (laughs) And the pottery artisan said to the customer, that's 80 years plus five minutes. Like you, you cannot devalue all the years of experience that I have devoted to this craft to develop this deep knowledge that allows me to do anything in five minutes, which I hope you will love and enjoy, you know. So that whole concept of standing up for yourself and valuing yourself and valuing what you're doing and valuing your content in a way that makes you comfortable enough to ask for people to support you financially as well for what you value you're giving to them. That's, that's a new ballgame for me, but it's something that's really important if I want to continue, right?
0: Well, it's not sustainable, is it? I mean, you know, an hour, it's a minimum of an hour a day, isn't it, at the moment?
1: Well, it's an hour is just the live stream. I usually spend half a half a day, at least, uh, researching and preparing for each talk beforehand. So it's a considerable amount of time. But I, I love what I'm doing. I'm getting great value and happiness from it. You know, I feel like my my life has more meaning because I'm doing this when I don't really have other work coming in, but it's a consideration, right? Like if other work comes in, do I give this up because I don't have funding from it? You know, that's that's also something to think about, right?
0: Mm, it is. Yeah. You have priorities as well. so. Mm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about sustainability in tourism, because I know we're not, not supposed to be traveling so much just now, but if we were thinking about wanting to travel in the future, how can we travel more sustainably within Japan, for example? What would be your top tips?
1: It's a great question. And something for sustainability, which includes tourism, is always looking for better opportunities and better options. So at the moment, because we want a social distance in Japan, we're still having so many cases and all the, the big biggest problems are in the biggest city. So even now, if you're going to choose to travel somewhere, definitely the rural areas would be the best. And yesterday I talked to a guy who runs a company that... uh renovate old vans into sleeper van, and they rent them out. And to me, right now, while we're in the coronavirus, if you're going to go on vacation, that seems perfect, because you can go out to a rural area campsite, you can reconnect to nature, which you find, I find, most people find, uh, very refreshing and ready to get back to work after that. But you just drive yourself out to a rural area and enjoy nature and you've got your little bed in the back as well. There's also, you know, hotels I know have taken a huge hit during coronavirus time, but if you can find a ryokan where, you know, you can stay in a rural area, uh, you can enjoy walks around the town or around nature. You know, these these are the kinds of travels I would suggest anytime this year, because it's going to be until next year, until we're really kind of okay to travel and people more people are vaccinated. So getting out to places where you've got more space, avoiding cities is uh, much more sustainable. As long as you stay a while and use local restaurants, uh, try to leave some of your money in the local area in some way then you can support those local economies as well as really have a a great vacation and travel. And what most people seem to find most meaningful from travel in general is engaging with local people. We are here in Hiroshima. And for many years, I was doing training for uh, Japanese people who were trained Japanese tour guides, but they wanted training to become inbound or international visitor tour guide. And there's a bit of transition that they need to make uh, to be able to connect to the international customer. So some of the things that I was suggesting to them, of course, is also more sustainable. Like, how do you talk about where the customer is from. How do you connect to things that they're interested in, which is things that they never would have thought of before, you know? So this is also connected to sustainability because engaging with local people instead of just visiting somewhere and just giving all your money to a hotel, never really talking to anybody is what travel really should be about. And it's, it's creating meaningful connections between people and learning more about culture. So in terms of sustainability and sustainable travel, that's the aim that we want we want to have we want to have opportunities to really connect with people on a real level not just transactional right and we want to connect to nature and we want to avoid crowds you know those are the general <laughs> yeah. the general rules
0: yeah yeah that's definitely i can think of all of this amazing travel that i've done in my life but the the real memories that i have are when i yeah connected with someone in that place and those are the things that stick with you. It's not where you stayed. I can't even remember. Or maybe I can't even remember what I ate. But if I had... A meaningful interaction with someone there, that is something that you definitely take with, take home with you and you remember. And it doesn't cost anything, but it's more valuable than perhaps the the hotel stay or <laughs> the fancy dinner or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: And some of the best the best stories I've heard from travelers who love their trip to Japan, all the stories that they love to retell over and over, it's not about how the quality of the hotel was, not often right? It's it's about some person-to-person interaction that they had. And it doesn't even have to be in their language. My husband's family came over and one of their favorite stories was being on the Shinkansen bullet train, traveling to Kyushu. And the lady who was selling the coffee on the cart coming through, she was smiling at them and they were so happy to see a smile. And then she couldn't speak English and they couldn't speak Japanese, but she made a little origami folded crane and gave it to them with a little message and they just rave about that story like that (laughs) feeling like you are seen feeling like you are seen as a person not as a tourist not as a foreigner but just seen and considered I think this is something that's still a challenge for travel in Japan, because like I said, we're in Hiroshima and we often meet travelers who've been in Japan for two weeks or more. And quite often they're lonely and they, they say, you know, Japan is great. It's so clean. It's so polite, but I haven't really met anyone. I haven't really talked to anyone. And I think, you know, that that comes a bit from the formal distance, right? Like people just being polite. And if you're, working in a cafe, you don't often chit chat and have small talk with customers. But that's kind of what travelers are craving, at least a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That also relates to how you train your staff, like even in a restaurant or cafe, encourage your staff to chat with the customers and your, you know, travelers would be happier. It just seems counterintuitive to efficiency in Japan, but definitely something a bit more needed.
0: Yeah, it's not in the training manual, right? That this is how you how you interact with people, all of the interactions are very scripted, especially if you're working in, for example, a chain store, but yeah, having your own business, you could do that more. And I'm actually noticing an increase in the number of guest houses, for example, where People are setting up these kind of accommodation options that haven't really existed in Japan very much. And especially in my city, there wasn't even one guest house five years ago. And now there are quite like two or three. And it's a place for people to travel, but to to travel together, even if you're not together. So hang out together in the living area and and chat and the owners are facilitating this you know spending time together. and they are also people who've traveled themselves and and experienced that in other countries and are bringing that back to Japan. so. It's interesting to see a little bit of a, a, a change happening there, even in the rural cities like Iwaki City and Fukushima. We have some really nice guest house coming along. So
1: that is so that is so true, and that's that's a trend where we saw in Hiroshima too. Not only for guest houses, but also for vegan cafes, vegetarian cafes, because as as you know, it's really difficult for travelers in Japan who don't eat meat or fish. So a lot of these young Japanese people who have traveled to other countries and seen the potential for bringing back a really fun, interactive, uh, relaxed atmosphere backpacker place, as well as like a vegan vegetarian cafe and cater more to this kind of visitor coming to Japan, you know, when I see success stories for such innovative small businesses, it's usually someone who's traveled, like you You say. And it's, it's so nice to see that they kept their eyes open while they were traveling, that they weren't just seeing the main sites, taking their pictures and going home. They were spending time in these areas, traveling around, meeting local people, really spending time, really looking around, really comparing their country to where they were and bringing those models back to try in Japan, especially catering to the international visitor or resident. So yeah, I think that it's an underlying thing that we should all try to do more is to stay curious and to keep your eyes open and really take in your surroundings, but also take in your experiences with other people and try to see other people as well as, you know, see potential for things. Think about ideal situations you know this staying curious seeing potential in things is so important for any connection with sustainability as well
0: yeah seeing the potential yes in any any area of your life is (laughs) that's the way to go isn't it it doesn't matter if it's travel or yeah personal development or your career or your family or even your neighborhood yeah you can find our potential and that's exciting as well it's nice to have a pair of fresh eyes, though, isn't it? Yeah. When someone when someone from outside your area comes to visit you, and I know this every time I have I well have people come and visit me here in Fukushima, and they get off the station at the train station where I meet them, and they walk out of the station, and they go like this and I'm like what's that and they're like oh, I feel so relaxed and, I, and I'm like you just what you did was get off the train but just being yeah in our town in this little it's in a little onsen town that where the station is they they get the vibe there immediately and I because I go there all the time I don't see it anymore but they do because they just got here so and often they're coming in from Tokyo so it's a huge' Contrast between what they've come from and where they've just arrived. And so I loved that because it reminds me that that is there, but I'm just not seeing it because I've got my locals goggles on and <laughs> I can't see it anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's so wonderful, isn't it? That's one of the things I love about working with tourism and travel is you get reminded all the time of things that you've stopped seeing. Because you've seen it so much, right? Yeah. And uh, when people visit. And and so I, I try to, you know, take note of those things that they ask about or that they see. And I try to relate that uh, when I do like tour guide training and stuff to try to remind these real locals who've lived here all their lives that, you know, these are the things that people are interested in. And let's, you know, like sometimes when I do like a Hiroshima station uh, guide training and and I'll take them out to the new deck area and I'll say, OK, just close your eyes. What do you hear? You know, so they can hear like the the morning uh, vendors saying irashai from the different shops, which is so Japanese, right? Yeah. Yeah. They can hear the trains coming in and out or the trains are a big feature of travel in Japan. Right. And then I say, open your eyes. What can you see? And they can see um, we have a peace pagoda up the mountain near the station. And, you know, what is that? Do you know what it is? How would you explain it to a visitor? Because when travelers come, what they see, what they hear is what they want to talk about most tour guides, when they get the official training, they have to learn so much history and so many dates and names. And, you know, that's that's great to know, but that's not what the, the traveler is going to want to hear only. They're going to want to hear about the kind of food that you like or this bakery's most popular bread that they might buy. You know, like it's it has to be tangible it has to be something you can see hear feel and taste as well mm-hmm. so trying to kind of break down traditional tourism that into more tangible chunks is uh, one of my roles when i when i do training which is is so fun and to kind of help them see their own town in a new refreshing way it's fun.
0: Yeah, I bet it's. Yeah, it must be amazing for them to to have that experience and and to be equipped to go out and and deal with <laughs> the tourists that they that they hopefully will have a chance to to guide again soon. And I can imagine, uh, like when I first came to Japan, I had a lot of why questions, like why is people doing that? Why is that like that? And nobody could answer my questions, and it was so frustrating. Even when you ask Japanese people, why is that Tory Gate red? Why, you know, why is there a Tory Gate? Uh, not really sure. I don't know. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of why questions, isn't there? <laughs>
1: yeah, or, or some sometimes you just get the answer. Oh, it's just Japanese culture, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, because <laughs> <laughs> they don't really know either. Like yeah. it, 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 it has changed over time. And some people know, and then. Uh, You know, you can collect that information too. I I usually say, you know, for the Red Tory Gate, and often the shrine's Red Tory Gate is right next to the ocean or right next to the mountains. And it's that contrast the Red Tory Gate and nature, which, you know, the culture nature fusion for me is just that's what I want to see when I travel anywhere outside Japan as well. But that's something that visitors really love to see. So it doesn't really matter the exact reason But to point it out, like sometimes you can see Tory gates in the middle of the mountains, way up yonder that nobody even noticed before, right? So being able to point things out like that is also a really nice thing for travelers and tourists to take in, right? Yeah.
0: And so here's a challenge for anyone who, wherever you are in the world, if you're listening, is to go out into your neighborhood and notice something that you haven't, maybe you've walked past it 20 times and you have not noticed this thing. Yeah. And, and just notice, wow, this is what I have in my, in my backyard because we just don't see stuff. Yeah. We, we only see what we want to (laughs) see. We don't notice everything else. So
1: (laughs) exactly. I grew up in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. so we, you know, I grew up in a a place where it's been very overrun by tourism for many, many years, Mm -hmm. and I remember growing up and seeing the Japanese tourists coming in and taking photos of garbage cans, of post boxes, (laughs) and being like, what the heck are they taking pictures of? But now when I travel... I take photographs of garbage cans and post boxes, you know, like anything Mm. that's different from what you normally experience. It's, it's fun and interesting to compare, isn't it? It is.
0: (laughs) I can remember arriving in Germany and my mind being blown that post boxes were yellow, like Mm. where, and what, universe a post box is yellow they're supposed to be red you know yeah. <laughs> like even in my own country they're red in new zealand
1: well you were just in sweden
0: and i was just in sweden where they're yellow again yeah they're yellow so i was prepared for this wacky wackiness of post boxes being yellow the second time round. but yeah the first time i was <laughs> yeah what is this really a post box if i put my letter in there is it actually gonna go <laughs> yeah i did not trust the yellow post box for a while yeah it's it's very interesting, isn't it? So just before we were uh we hit record, you said you are yeah looking sort of around at maybe a transition of your own. is there a transformation happening in in joy's world
1: yeah well you know i i before i I joined this podcast and I was so happy that you asked me because I really do feel like this coronavirus time has been such a transformation. You know that I I was very secure as a university teacher in Japan for a long time. I really thought that was all I was going to do and and happy to do it connecting to my students, but it's the immediacy of climate change and having children growing up in a world that seems very uncertain that really helped me transform into a consultant and a trainer and a coach. I've been coaching people trying to uh, become more sustainable in their business or life or do more things online. So, you know, I had my undergraduate degree in psychology, and I think that really helped inform not only teaching, but it also informs coaching. It also informs being a talk show host, you know, like trying to, to listen to people and see people case by case. But it, I'm also during coronavirus, I'm also kind of turning the lens on myself more. And thinking about what would be most meaningful for me and how can I use the knowledge and experience that I have to create work, which is more meaningful and helpful to other people to transition in their lives. What is it? Greta Thunberg says we've got less than 10 years to really transition into being part of an international community that's part of the solution not part of the problem, right? So that that really kind of spurred me on to think more about uh, collaborations and uh, writing a book perhaps this year, to put all of this knowledge to more tangible use for people who would be interested in some of the topics that I've been covering in the talk show series. So yeah, it's it's part of that uh, being, being curious, keeping my eyes open, part of my focus in the last two years that has really helped me think about and uh, challenge myself to do this transition in a way that, that works for me and my family, but also really is somewhat useful to a wider audience as well.
0: So what do you see is next on the radar then at this point today, <laughs> from today?
1: <laughs> from today. So at the moment, trying to collaborate with businesses that I believe in, to make my talk show a job to get funding and to work together with them to help promote what they're doing, but also fund what I'm doing. And uh, so that's my immediate next few months challenge. And if I can't do it, I'll have to transition into working for someone else again, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, it might not be a bad thing, but, you know, I feel like I at least have to challenge myself to try to do it and to try to get funding and do my own thing. I keep listening to talks from CEOs, from entrepreneurs, founders of businesses who say over and over again, they were told you're never gonna be able to do this. You're never gonna be able to get funding for this. And they didn't give up. You know, they just kept at it and now they're doing amazing things and they're heads of the company. So I just feel like I owe it to myself to at least keep trying and uh, really make a go of it and see if I can do it.
0: What would be a a dream sponsor for you to have? Just out of curiosity, who would be your dream sponsor to have on your show? not thinking about like, was this actually possible or not? Because anything is always possible. Yeah. Just like, what's that name that pops into your head when I asked you before you had a chance to say, oh no, 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 that wouldn't work. But what company or business would it be?
1: One of the companies I would like to ask to collaborate with is I'm interviewing them today. Hmm. I've been uh, researching them for a while. They're really an amazing company. They're called AstroScale, run by a a Japanese founder, entrepreneur, started it years ago uh, to collect space junk. And uh, it's something that, you know people don't normally think about but the more we're going up into space the more companies are leaving junk up there and it's it's a really becoming already is a big problem so if they have interest and and a bit of funding that would be a great collaborator also this month i'm talking to a sustainable tourism network organization and i'm going to interview their founder and you know, talk to him about maybe collaborating and funding. So these are two sponsors that I think would work really well for something that I would be happy to promote because I believe in what they're doing Mm -hmm. and I find great meaning in what they're doing, but also... They are an established business, which has decent amount of funding, and they need someone to help promote what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I find this so much with so many business people that I interview. They are doing something so good, but they're in their lane. They are doing it just to their group, and they really need a wider audience to hear what they're doing. So that's kind of been my role for over this this talk show period to try to promote and help uh, talk about what they're doing to a much, much wider audience. And so I feel like I really could help businesses that want to give me a bit of funding, but also I could really help promote them to a much wider group of people who would then be excited and interested and support what they do.
0: Mm. And can I ask your permission to challenge you here? Yeah. Just a little bit. Yep. So those
1: two sound
0: to me like, yeah, it's, it's done and dusted.
1: <laughs> no, I haven't even asked.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, but you're already in contact with them. What is your super mega dream that you wouldn't even let yourself believe <laughs> that you've already discounted because it's just too unbelievable.
1: I, I think I, I, I hinted at it earlier. I would, I would love to run my own business, right? I am running my own business, but it's, it's only a one person, very small, just barely hanging on business. But I would love to have staff. I would love to, you know, have a team of consultants, have a team of tour guides, have a team of sustainability auditors under my purview, you know, that I help train them and get them out into the world and have a a bigger far-reaching effect on the situation in Japan. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Are you getting
0: goosebumps? Because I
1: am. Yeah. Wow.
0: I I mean I thoroughly believe that you speak your life into existence. So that's why I just wanted to push you a little bit more and get and get to the big, the big hairy scary goal behind (laughs) this. (laughs) That sometimes Thank we you. don't even let ourselves believe, but now we put a time stamp on this conversation. So we, <laughs> you can yeah. always come back and listen to yourself. And in, in a year's time, you might come back and you go, oh my goodness, I had such itty-bitty dreams
1: back then. Oh, look at, listen to me. <laughs> way, way too big.
0: Not at all. Not at all. Because you know, even with what I'm doing with my pod launch system at the moment and helping people to get their podcasts, either launch them or, or just to keep them going, because you know how much work is involved in getting a show out there, right? If you had said to me a year ago, what I would be doing today, I would have laughed in your face and told you that's insane. I'm, there's no way, you know, but yeah, a year is a long time. Actually, yeah. like a day, a day feels like an eternity, and a year can slip by. But actually, it's it's a long time, and a lot can happen in a year. So, I just yeah, I love to to yeah have people on record saying things so that we can always go back and and just check in with what you were saying a year ago. And yeah, maybe in a year's time, you'll be able to listen and go,
1: "Huh, look at me, look at me now." Oh wow, yeah, that's something I've never said out loud. There you go i love it
0: yay (laughs) exciting and you know now that you've told me about it then i know what now that i know and also everybody who's listening knows what you're on maybe people can help you with this this dream
1: that would be great
0: yeah right we
1: yeah if anybody's listening out there and you can think of a, a great collaboration for me or a guest for my show definitely reach out I'd really appreciate that
0: exactly and it could be something you never even imagined some kind of help that you didn't even know you needed as well so Mm -hmm. yeah that's why it's I just find it's really good to talk about these things and did they just let it go because it's not it's not actually your business how this is all going to happen right this right you know this this business that you just spoke about how it happens is is not up to us but in some way or form is it can come to fruition so yeah letting letting the how go and just, just keeping that vision in your mind as you move forward. I'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for you.
1: Yeah. Very exciting and scary.
0: It is scary. Right. And that's a mm. good thing, I think, because it means that this is, you're going to have to grow to do this. Right. And growing is a good thing because if you're not growing, you know, we're not as humans, we're generally not, not happy when we're not growing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some way. So, and you'll grow into this stream. Definitely. So like I said, next time this this time next year, you might be like, Yeah, that was just a tiny dream. Look what I'm aiming for now. Yeah. Yeah. Then we just have to just trust. Yeah. Now it's it's all about trust and doing what you can do on your end as well.
1: Yeah. And keeping my eyes open for ways that I could make that happen, right?
0: Yeah. And not discounting things before you've even had a chance to get started.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I think that's Especially for women, we do that a lot, right?
0: Oh, my goodness. Yes.
1: I uh, can't do that now because of the kids or because of whatever. It's usually about other people. And uh, so, kind of being selfish in a way, but thinking, what do I need to move my dreams for it? Not just thinking about supporting other people, right?
0: Exactly. And also, I find that us, us, women in particular, like to make decisions on behalf of other people. Like, for example, oh, no, no, you won't be interested in what I have to offer you, you know, like my my business or my service. Oh, we've already decided that that person wouldn't be interested <laughs> in that. And we haven't even given them a chance to hear about it or to to say no or to say, oh, maybe later or whatever. We often just make these assumptions. Without yeah. letting people or letting you know other people decide if they would actually like that or not, so I always try to catch myself on to that when I do notice myself doing that, and they're like, "No, that's that's not your decision to make. You It's your job to let people know about what you can do to help them, and then it's up. To, and then you have to let it go. Yeah. And as soon as you can do that, then yeah, all sorts of crazy things will start happening. I try. I promise you. <laughs> Anyone listening out there, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so open and letting me let me letting me challenge you like that today, Joy, <laughs> and letting me hear that that hairy scary dream and and that's behind all of what you're doing now. And I've seen so many amazing topics that have come up on your show, the Seeking Sustainability Live Show. For everyone, you can go and find that on it's on YouTube, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In podcast format. Where can people find you? Where should they go and follow this daily dose of sustainability?
1: You can find the podcast on any, any podcast player. Just search Seeking Sustainability Live. And uh, you can also find the podcast by category. I've started to put it into categories, as well as all the links to my socials, including YouTube and, and different places you could see all the videos on my website, inboundambassador.com.
0: All right. So head over there. Yeah. Inbound ambassador. You can find all of that. And what's coming up. I know by the time this comes out already, some of these will have probably come out. Have you got any really real doozies coming up in the show?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about today. Lunchtime about, like I mentioned the Astro scale,
0: the space junk space. Yeah. junk. Yeah. <laughs> so cool.
1: I'm talking to a life coach later in the week, Catherine Groner.
0: Oh yes, Catherine. She's been on the, yeah, she was on the, on a few weeks, few weeks ago now. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. And then actually this Friday I'm meeting up with some local contacts and we're going to go around different farmers markets and see if we can get some ideas for how to work with them. So that could be something in the step of my dream, my challenge. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Sounds like it.
1: Exciting.
0: Yeah. Notice those steps forward. Yeah. That, oh, this is contributing to my dream. Excellent. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, I just glanced over at, uh, on the top of my schedule book, I write quotes that I, I find around that I like. And I just glanced over and it says, challenges make you discover things about yourself that you never really knew. That's Cicely Tyson. Mm. And uh, so just as we're talking, I just glanced over at that and I thought, wow, That's great. It's wonderful.
0: Nice little synchronicity there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All righty. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been very interesting to hear about uh, sustainability in general and how we can be more sustainable in tourism. And yeah, to hear more about what's coming in for joy in the future as well. We'll Keep an eye on you now.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you so much for asking me and for pushing me to challenge myself. I really appreciate that.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much.
1: Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye.
0: So that was the interview with Joy. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really interesting to hear how she trains her The people who are those uh, tour guides yeah, down in Hiroshima for international visitors and just getting them to stand there with their eyes closed and listen to the different sounds and notice the sounds because, yeah, even as a long-term resident of Japan, I don't really notice anymore when someone shouts, when you go into a shop, you totally don't even blink anymore. But when I first came here, I remember just thinking, oh my God, what do I do? Do I say hello back? Do I... Do I stop and talk to them or do I keep moving? Or that that's really weird. And oh, I don't know how to how to respond to that. But now I know that you just keep going. You don't, you're not expected to respond, but the shop workers are expected to greet you, you know, whether you respond or not. Of course, you can nod or smile at them if you want to, or say good morning, or whatever, that's also fine, but there's no expectation that you have to respond back to them. But yeah, just noticing that maybe, you know, I had completely forgotten that that's even a thing. And for example, the noise of the train or the train station, when you go to the train station in Japan and you hear all those little jingles they play, then different jingles for each kind of train line. It's it's so interesting to, to people who have just arrived in Japan, but if you've been here for a long time, you stop hearing it or stop noticing it. But there's a particular jingle that the Super Hitachi plays. The Super Hitachi is our fast train that connects this part of Fukushima to Tokyo. We don't have a Shinkansen here. It's an express train, but it plays this particular jingle. And I don't think I will ever forget that sound, you know, until the day I die, because it's such a homecoming sound to me. I'm, for my for Japan, when I come back to Japan, when I've been overseas, I come back to Japan. I get on that Super Hitachi, and I hear that little jingle when the train pulls in. It's yeah, just this is something about it that's very I don't know I do, <laughs> natsukashi or whatever you want to call it. Natsukashi means very sort of oh, I can't even remember the word in English, but you feel yeah, home or takes you back. Yeah, it takes you back to those first that first time that you came to Japan and when you first arrived. And for me, that was nearly 20 years ago now, but I, that jingle for the Super Hitachi will <laughs> never leave me, that's for sure. And, you know, every other jingle I hear, train jingle I hear, doesn't really register with me like the one for the super Hitachi does. So, yes. So that was our interview today. I hope you enjoyed that. Hearing something different, a bit about sustainability and how it can affect, you know, all different areas of your life and how it doesn't have to be this one massive, you know, thing that you you can't deal with because it's just so huge. It, sustainability can start with just one thing and maybe it, it, this week it's this or next week it's that or next month it's this or maybe it's holidaying in a new way that we can all be a little bit more sustainable. And I love to hear new ideas about that. So thank you so much for listening. As always, please share this episode with anyone you think would love to hear more about sustainability or about life and transformations with Jane in Japan. And I will see you again in another two weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye.